All right, if you'd open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47 today. We are slowly making our way through the book of Acts. I think this is, I think this is number 6, and we're not even... Well, I guess we'll be done with chapter 2 by the end of today. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. The title of the message is, First Things First. Never heard of uh, majoring on the minors? I'm sure you'll hear of majoring on the minors by the end of this morning. A lighthouse along a bleak coast was tended by a keeper who was given enough oil for one month and told to keep the light burning every single night. One day a woman asked for oil so that her children could stay warm. Then a farmer came. His son needed oil for a lamp so that he could read. Still another needed some for an engine. The keepers saw each as a worthy request and measured out just enough oil to satisfy everyone. Near the end of the month, the tank that the lighthouse used ran dry. That night, the beacon was dark, and three ships crashed on the rocks, and more than 100 lives were lost. When a government official investigated, the man explained what he had done and why. You were given one task, insisted the official. It was to keep the light burning. Everything else is secondary There's no defense. Did you know that as believers, we have been given a responsibility? We are to shine the light of Jesus to everyone that we encounter. For a lot of people in this world, you may be the only Jesus that they see. You may be the only encounter with Christianity that they have. As the early church began here in the book of Acts, we see Peter having preached his first sermon after Pentecost. His challenge was to repent and accept Christ as their Savior, and indeed many did repent. But now we're left wondering, now what? What should they do? What's their priority? Unfortunately, They didn't have Facebook groups that they could join for what should early new Christians start to do. There weren't websites to go to to download PDF files on what it's like to be a new Christian. None of this stuff. No hotlines to call. Nothing. These people are it. So what are they going to do? This first generation of believers give us a glimpse as to what is truly important. Now I'm going to say something very tongue-in-cheek, so feel free to laugh. The only thing that these poor people had was the Holy Spirit. I said you could laugh, guys. Do you get it? The only, these poor people, the only thing that they had was the Holy Spirit. You should say what? <laughs> that should be enough. That should be plenty for any one of us is to have the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, controlling, directing, instructing. The Holy Spirit should be all you need for life and living. And yet, we want to think that we need to have a seminar on what it's like to raise families. 
We need to have classes on how to manage money. We need to have this to learn that and to do this. And we need books on this and we need books on that. We need these self-help books and seven steps to a this and that. And we need all this sort of stuff. We think we need all these resources. Tell me, these first, this first generation, it's going to say there were 3,000 of them. I guess 3,120 because there were 120 original disciples in the upper room when the Pentecost came. And, and then 3,000 here are added on presumably day one. So 3,120 poor people here, all they have is the Holy Spirit. I don't know how they're going to do it. You get it? I don't know how they're going to do it. What are they going to do? What are they going to do next? If you got saved and you, you know, you felt the calling to God in your life, repented of your sins, you accept Christ as your Savior... Week one, what are you going to do? Day one, what are you, hour one, what are you going to do? Well, how is your good life going to be different now as a result of having trusted Christ as your Savior? For many of us, our life doesn't look any different. Do you know why? Because I wonder if you didn't accept him. If your life doesn't look any different, you need to start asking yourself some really tough questions. Because as we see in this passage here, the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, these people's lives are turned upside down. Was your life turned upside down when you came to know Jesus? I, mine was. I, mine was. Maybe you all didn't know me when I first accepted Jesus as my Savior. But, well, I think I stopped cursing. I don't. I'd really stop cursing right away. I, I didn't even have to try. If my mom and dad ever watched this, I'm sorry, but I, I was fairly fluent in certain words. Maybe you were too. I came to know Jesus, and I really, man, I, I just don't know. I just don't do that anymore. I even have my boss at work saying, my Lanta. Because I say, oh, my Lanta, right? My boss at work now says, my Lanta. Because I don't curse, guys, wait, I'm no, I don't do that anymore. I'm different now. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. My life should be different now. I shouldn't be doing the things that the world would do. Who told me that? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit did. What is the Holy Spirit instructing you to do if you're a believer, how is God working in your life? Sometimes, however, it's not always is the Holy Spirit talking to you. Because there's a flip side to that coin. He may be trying to talk to you, but you're not, but you're not listening. What if these people, this first 3,000, acted in a way that many of us act when we come to know Jesus? Come to, I come to know Jesus. There wouldn't be books written about that, I tell you that. But there's a book written about this. Today God wants you to see the priorities of a growing church. I heard a sermon one time, the title was called A Priorities Reboot. 
How many of you in here today need a priorities reboot? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. I suspect there's a lot of people in this world that need a priorities reboot. First things first. Let's read this passage. It's not very long. We're used to some long passages lately. Like a whole chapter in Ruth. This is like eight verses. This is nothing. Let's read this whole thing. 40 through 47. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done throughout the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God wants you to see the priorities of a growing church. These people started to do things that they really hadn't done before. There's three priorities of a growing church that we're going to see in this passage. The first priority, verses 40 through 43, a growing church prioritizes stability. Stability. Second priority, verses 44 through 45, a growing church prioritizes stability sacrifice third priority of a growing church verses 46 and 47 a growing church prioritizes service the three priorities of a growing church are stability sacrifice and service Before we get into what these cats were doing, let's think about what you're doing. If you want to try to convince me that you're a growing Christian, which I sure sure hope you would love to convince me that you're a growing Christian. If you're a growing Christian, I would love to hear about your stability, your sacrifice, and your service. And I'm going to guess that there's a lot of people out there that don't have any stability. They're not sacrificing And they're not serving. But boy, they are growing Christians, brother, because they go to church every single Sunday. That's a face palm on that one for me, dog. You know why? This growing church, the only driving force that these poor people had in the beginning was the calling of the Holy Spirit on their life. And this is what the Holy Spirit is having this very first generation do. So how are you doing? Because here's the kicker. You ready for this? 
the same Holy Spirit that indwelt these people, that challenged these people, that motivated these people, that got these people to do these things, is the same Holy Spirit that indwells you if you're a believer. So why would God make these people's priorities different from yours? Answer, he wouldn't. You know who's making the different priorities? It's not the Holy Spirit, guys. It's you. Are you choosing to do those things which the Holy Spirit wanted these people to do? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. You ever heard that one? That's an old one. That's how old I am. I know old sayings like that. It's an old soul is what they used to say, right? I can just keep going. So let's look at this. The three priorities of a growing church, the growing church prioritizes stability. So he starts off something like this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, I don't know how old some of you guys are, but some of you are older than 50. Not many and not by much. But you can probably remember even 50 years ago when prayer was in school. You can probably remember when you could leave your doors unlocked. You could probably remember when you could leave your keys in your car. That wasn't that long ago in the, like, the grand scheme of things. That's not like a super long time ago. And the Apostle Peter is saying even 2,000 years ago that they lived in a perverse generation. And even within the last 50 years, we've seen it getting a whole, whole lot worse. How, boy, they'd probably think we were nuts even then. And we, like, you see what I'm saying? Mankind has been awful for a long time. And he says, be saved, be taken out of, be redeemed, be rescued, be delivered from this perverse generation. There are awful people out there, guys. There's some really bad dudes out there. And you don't want nothing to do with them. But as long as you're in the world, you're hand in hand with them. It's just the way it is. Just because you sin differently from a different unbeliever doesn't make you better or worse. You're both unbelievers. You're both deserving of hell. And he says, be saved from this perverse generation. You can be saved from this perverse generation. Jesus died so that you could be saved from this perverse generation. You, right now, sitting right where you're at, can be saved from this perverse generation. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls, and it does say souls, not people, it says souls, because that's what gets saved. It's a whole other sermon. It's the souls that get saved, about 3,000 of them. In one day, at one time, were saved then. And these poor people, all they have is the Holy Spirit. Whatever are they going to do? Well, the Bible tells us exactly what they do. And they, and they continued steadfastly. This is what I'm picking up on here. Steadfastly. What does the word steadfastly mean? To be stable in it. To, to continue in it. To not give up. To persevere. To continue to do it. They are steadfastly doing something 
What is it that they are giving their attention to? As a growing church, 3,000 souls, and it says the Lord adds daily to those being saved in verse 47. This is a growing body of believers. And these people that the Lord is saving daily, 3,000 in that first shot, what is it that they are going to prioritize to do? It's going to tell us exactly what they're going to continue to steadfastly and have stability in that they are going to do. And it is the following. The Apostles' Doctrine. Notice it isn't their own doctrine. The doctrine of their neighbor. The doctrine of the person on TV. The doctrine of the guy on the radio. Whose doctrine? The Apostles' Doctrine. There is somebody authoritative that God has put in place that these people are supposed to listen to. It's the Apostles. It's the that would be a great idea to listen to them. And they're going to continue steadfastly in their teaching because the word doctrine simply means teaching. We're going to see later on in Acts chapter 6 that Peter and the other apostles are going to say that their primary objective as apostles is to give themselves wholeheartedly to the word and to prayer. That is the mission of the apostles, according to Peter. But that's not till Acts chapter 6. These new believers are going to be stable in the apostles' teaching. The apostles are going to be teaching. They're going to be sharing what God says about different things. Now, at this time, they don't have the New Testament. Have you ever thought through that? They don't have Romans to read. It's not like Peter's preaching through Romans right now. At this time, Paul's not even saved, more or less having written Romans. They're teaching out of the Old Testament exclusively. They're also going to be stable in fellowship. They're going to get together regularly because they understand that if they don't, bad things can happen. You know how easy it is once you miss one Sunday to miss two? Do you know how easy it is once you've missed two to miss three? Do you know how easy it is once you've missed three days of reading your Bible, how easy it is to miss day four? Have you ever noticed how after one week of not praying, how easy it is to not pray on day eight? Have you ever noticed that? We're just going to be real for a minute and say, yes, that does happen. If you're going to tell me that you're a growing believer and you're not continuing steadfastly in fellowship, I'm going to guess with each other. It doesn't say who they're fellowshipping with, but you can fellowship with the Lord. You can fellowship with other people, other believers. Wouldn't it be great if there was a time that we set aside each week we could come together and do that? Then we'd all just be here all at the same time. That'd be great. They're going to be stable in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship they have with one another, in the breaking of bread. Now, some people take this as the uh, like a love feast that Paul will talk about in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Others take it as uh, communion, because Jesus did that. Remember, in the upper room, he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." So. 
is that that's I would I would guess is probably what's going on is the communion. So they're going to do this. They're going to be stable in that. They're going to be stable in teaching. They're going to be stable in fellowship, and they're going to be stable in praying. These are the marks of stability in the life of a believer. If I were to have given you a handout and you were to grade yourself, not me grade you, because at the end of the day, that doesn't really make a hillbillion's bit of difference. But if you were to grade yourself on your prayer life, one to 10, 10 being can't be any better than this, and one is, uh, I'm embarrassed to even mention this. If I were to give you a sheet, what would you grade yourself? What about fellowship? How would you grade yourself? We want to talk about being growing Christians, love the Lord. We're going to follow, we're going to follow the Spirit. Whatever the Spirit says, that's what we're going to do. <clears throat> well, here's what he says. <laughs> Found it. How you doing? That's the first priority of a growing church, is this stability in doing these things. <clears throat> Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You know what happens when you're stable in doing these things? Other people take notice. Do you want to catch other people's attention with who Jesus is? Do you want to get their attention by who Jesus is? Do you want to have an opportunity to share Jesus with them? Because if your life is no different than not only it was before, but everybody else that you're around, do you think they're even going to ask you about Jesus? There's no way, no chance. Ain't going to happen. Because how would they know too? How would they know too? What kind of opportunity did you give them? You, 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 your language is the same as theirs. Your activity is the same as theirs. Your jokes are the same as theirs. Your lifestyle is the same as theirs. What makes you think they're going to ask you about Jesus? But when you're different, you're growing, your stability is this way, your, your priorities are here, then, then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God is trying to validate and demonstrate that this is what is new. And this is where we're going. The growing church also prioritizes sacrifice. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In Acts chapter 5, we're going to get a story of a couple who's going to do kind of like this. And you can read it for yourself. We'll be there in a few weeks. But there's something to be said about making sure everybody has what they need. Not being stingy. Just loving each other. Is there something that I can do for you to make sure you have what you need? Maybe there's somebody in this church that has a need. Are you willing to do what you need to do to take care of that need? These people, man, the only thing they had to listen to was the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit directed them, drove them, 
to somehow want to do this. Now, I've never preached on giving, have I? Surely, even, in, even before, I'd never preached on giving, did I? I don't think I ever have. You know why? I've never done it. In 15 years of preaching, I have never broached the subject of giving. I remember when I, I was not even technically a believer yet. Because I started going to church on February 3rd, 2002, and I didn't get saved until March 3rd, 2002. So the month of February, I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm meeting with Pastor Mike. We're having a great time, okay? During this time, Pastor Rich, who's the senior pastor of the church, he's going through 2 Corinthians. Now that, you may be thinking, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are the two chapters, probably two best chapters in all of the Bible about giving. Why was Pastor Mike concerned? He comes to me and he says, hold on, I I want you to know that we don't always talk about giving and money here. Because that's kind of the stigma that a lot of churches have, is that I'm just here to get your money. We need to buy a new plane. So you guys, uh, we're going to pass this plate around because we have have got a new plane to buy. I got a plane to catch and uh, we got to buy this thing. So we're going to pass the plate around again until we have enough money. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. I don't care about the money. Just keep it. I don't really care. But there is something to be said about giving. Managing your finances. Giving. Are you giving? We do it every Sunday. I'm not telling you to give so I can get a paycheck. Keep it if that's don't really care that much because you know there's other things that we do as a church you know that right we got to keep the lights on we have missionaries i i was challenged last week to get a picture of some of our missionaries so there's a picture out there of some of our missionaries to japan you can see their faces and their two kids right out there we need to support them We have people in our congregation that sometimes have needs on different things. Maybe it's the lost job or something like that. A lot of times, most of us don't even know what's going on, and that's probably the way it should be. But who knows, maybe the next person that has a need is you. It's great to be a part of a community of people who are generous who recognize that everything we have belongs to the Lord anyway. One of the stories that I always loved hearing was how uh, this couple had, uh, you know, they bought a house and the washing machine broke. You ever have your washing machine or maybe your fridge break? Dishwasher. And you know what the prayer is? You know how you pray when that happens? Lord, your dishwasher broke. What are you going to do about it? Lord, your washing machine broke. What are you going to do about it? It's not my washing machine. It's not my house. It's not my car. They're all gods. I have the opportunity to drive this car for a while. That's cool. Thank you, Jesus. That's great. Appreciate it. Sometimes you have the opportunity to get a new one. Cool. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. 
It's wonderful. But at the end of the day, this building belongs to the Lord and all of us in it. The money in your bank account, you know whose that is? You'll never guess. It's the Lord's. So what if the Lord had a need in this congregation? Just throwing it out there. What are you going to do with that information? Because a growing church will prioritize sacrifice and giving and being generous. It's one of the often overlooked issues of Christianity is your ability and capacity to create a budget that is able to satisfy the needs of your household and that does include giving to the church. That is why, well, not all the why, but it's a really good reason why. So many of us, you know, the, the the top people that don't give to their church are the same ones who have no budget, who have no clue what's going on with their finances. They go hand in hand. It's just the way it is. A growing church prioritizes sacrifice. And these people, God save them. The only thing they had to help them out was the Holy Spirit. I don't know how they did it. But the Holy Spirit directed them to be giving and generous. Is the Holy Spirit directing you to be giving and generous or to keep every last nickel you have because by golly, I earned that. Maybe you did earn it, but who cares? <laughs> As my dad would say, it's just money. Can't take it with you. You know, you're at your work. Yeah. God gave you that work to do that day. Great, you get a paycheck, pay your bills, have a nice Christmas, whatever. That's great. Maybe someday God will allow you to retire. Maybe he won't take you soon. Maybe the rapture won't come. I don't know. I don't know what. But, you know, maybe one day you'll get to retire, and that's great. Get a good teacher's pension, right, Julie? Never know. Or at least an okay one anyway, right? You never know what God's going to do. But it's not yours anyway. So what are you going to do with it? Every single one of us are stewards of the things that God has given to us. What's your management like of your finances? A growing church will prioritize sacrifice. A growing church also prioritizes service. Verse 46. So, continuing daily... With one accord, that's not the car. Everybody still following me? I didn't lose anybody in that money talk, did I? Okay. That's what I always think of, the accord, the car. They're in the car all together. I'm dumb, I know. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. And Why are they in the temple, by the way? How many of you that did you read that the first time and you're like, in the temple? Well, where else do you want them to go? That's all there was. They didn't start building churches for a while. Where did you think they were going to go? They're going to meet in the temple. There's a lot of God-fearing Jews there that they can talk to because that's the whole point of all this is to share Jesus with people. That'd be a great place to go. It would be the temple. 
So they're going to go to the temple. They're not dumb. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We as people, mm, there are a few things that we are really good at as people. I'm talking, we are really good at making excuses, passing responsibility. We're really good at those things. Mm. You know what else we're really good at? Making things as complicated as possible. Amen. Some of our spouses take the cake on this one. (laughs) Right, Pam? Yeah. I mean, man, if we can make something super duper challenging, we will pick that way every single time. You know, when I go to put a shirt on in the morning, I have a 50-50 chance of putting it on right side and I will put it on backwards every time. You would think after a certain point, a 50-50 chance, every, at least every other day I'm putting it on correctly. We love to make things complicated. And I tell people at work, here's my fairway story, Eleanor. I tell people at work all the time, this job is as complicated as you want it to be. They let me check. They'll let you check too. It's not hard. Okay? So... It's as complicated as you want it to be. And you know what the same thing is true about Christianity? It is as complicated as you want it to be. This is not the only place where the word simplicity is used. It's also used in 2 Corinthians. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Let's not make this complicated. What should we do? If we are going to be a growing people, if we're going to be growing before the Lord, if we're going to be having our priorities straight and correct, if we're going to have rebooted our priorities this morning, and we're not going to complicate things, maybe we need to think about the stability that we have in our lives in these areas that were listed above. Are you stable with these things? No, but you don't understand. No, I don't need to understand. It didn't say there were one of directors. It didn't say there were a million other things that we like to pass the buck off as is, well, I, this is what gets me going. You know, I don't, you know, that's great. It's right here. Don't make it complicated. Don't make excuses. Simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with all the people. How do you get favor with people? And why is that important? Who cares if you have favor with people? Their vote doesn't count anyway. Does it or does it? We should strive to have favor with people. You know, nobody's going to ask you about Jesus if you don't have favor with them. If you can't draw an audience with them, they'll never ask you about Jesus. I'll tell you that right now. Hear me now and believe me later, as Hans and Franz used to say. You've got to have favor with people. You can't treat people poorly. I get told all the time at work, you're too nice, you're too nice, you're too nice. I wouldn't have had him do that. I would have had him work then too. Maybe you would. Maybe you would. I'm trying to get favor though. 
with this other guy. So one day, if his world falls apart and he needs somebody to talk to, I want him to come to me. You know why? You'll never guess why, guys. Are you awake? You know why? Because I want to share Jesus with him. But I got to have favor with him, though. Mmm. Killing me. I want to serve people. I want to serve people. I want to serve you. I want to serve the people at my workplace. I want to serve people that I come across. I want to serve my family. I want to serve, 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 serve. Don't make it complicated, guys. Simplicity in heart. Don't make it complicated. Just serve. Do what you need to do so you can earn favor with people. And when you earn favor with people and they come to talk to you and they need somebody, to, a shoulder to cry on, their world falls apart, they need somebody, they always run. You know where they run? They always run to the man of God or woman of God. That's where people want to go. They want somebody who's stable, somebody who's willing to sacrifice themselves, and somebody who's willing to serve them. That's who they go to. And that's what describes a man or woman of God. Somebody that's growing in Christ. Somebody that's doing what they're supposed to be doing because they're led by the Holy Spirit. They're not trying to find out what to do in a million other ways and for a million other reasons. We need to have our priorities straight. Don't just do things because you want to do them because you think they're a great idea. Maybe they are a great idea. I don't know. But I tell you what I do know is that the Word of God says that we need to prioritize stability in these areas. We need to prioritize sacrifice and giving of ourselves and recognizing that what we have belongs to God anyway. we got to prioritize service so that we can get favor with people because ultimately, you know, after they found favor with people, what's the very next verse? The very next verse 47, they found favor with people. And what's the very next verse say? And the Lord added to the church every once in a while. No, no, that's not what it says. And the Lord added to the church monthly those who were being saved. Is that what it says? Daily. Daily. All the time. People are getting saved. Because this first generation was doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were being led by the Spirit and they were doing it by the Spirit. They weren't just phasing Him out. When the Holy Spirit said, do this, go here, be a part of this, sacrifice that, this, that, and the other thing, they did it. And they didn't complicate it. You'll never guess what happens. The Lord added daily those who were being saved. I hope your priorities are straight, straight as an arrow. Doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing without making it complicated. Because we will make it complicated if we can't, believe me. Where are your priorities? This growing church had three priorities. Stability, sacrifice, and service. Let's pray.